0: Uh, Good evening and a warm welcome to our service online. Uh, We're glad that you can join with us. Uh, Just as a reminder, as uh, we've done in previous weeks, we're going to have the coffee time uh, after this evening service at ten past seven. Uh, I know that we are really looking forward to being able to have coffee uh, physically, in person, and and meet together, Uh, but at the moment we can't do that, so this is Uh, the next best thing that we can do. Uh, So if you can join us, that would be really great. And if you have problems uh, with getting on to the link and uh, all of those kind of things, then do let me know and I'll be happy to help you. I'm going to begin by reading these words from Psalm 119. It says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Well, Psalm 119 is a a psalm all about the Word of God, and Jesus is going to tell us tonight how trustworthy His words are. He is the Word of God. Uh, He is God with us, and what He speaks is God's Word, and His words are trustworthy, His words are true, and tonight we're going to see that they are trustworthy and true in regards to the future as they are with everything else. And our first hymn uh, speaks of the Word of God and its impact that it has upon our lives, an impact that we pray it would have tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is trustworthy, which is powerful, which is good, which stands firm in the heavens eternally, and which we submit to as your people. We confess that we've not always followed your good word, and we ask tonight for your forgiveness for our sins, where we have disobeyed your word. Tonight, Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to us clearly, and that through hearing your voice, we would grow more like your son Jesus, the word of God, that we might speak of him in word and deed to others. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to have a, a Bible reading now from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, This uh, chapter in Daniel is a prophecy that is given to Daniel about the future, uh, the end of which speaks of one like a son of man, who in the New Testament Jesus refers to himself as. Uh, So we're going to read Daniel chapter 7 and verses 1 to 13, and Tom is going to read that for us now.
1: Reading from Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven journeying up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast. One that looked like a leopard, and on its back, it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but they were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed.
0: We'll notice in that chapter of Daniel that there's lots of visions of kingdoms that rise and fall. But there is one kingdom at the end, That is one that rules over all. And the king of that kingdom, the one who approaches the ancient of days, is one that is like a son of man. And that phrase, the son of man, is a favorite phrase, if you like, of, of Jesus, who uses that for himself. He is this king who rules over a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And as the risen Lord, ascended to heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father he is reigning now. Another description of Jesus uh, as this kind of king is that of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And our next song speaks of Jesus using that name to describe his rule and reign over all. Let's sing together.
2: Let us pray. Dear Father, you are the sovereign Lord of history, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We come before you humbling, humbly, acknowledging your power and glory. Only through your great love and mercy can we come before you in prayer and praise redeemed by the blood of your Son. We praise you, Lord, for your enduring love through history. Despite the rebellion and sin of man, we see that rebellion and sin daily in our own lives and we confess it to you now. Have mercy, Lord, and forgive us. Give us tender hearts and minds, obedient hearts, open to your word as we read, open to your Holy Spirit, transforming us daily to be more like Jesus. Dear Lord, we pray for your church and for us as a part of your church in Pelsall. Help us, Lord to bring the good news of your great salvation to those in our community, to our family, our friends, our neighbours. In those small acts of kindness that are possible in these restricted times, Lord help us to bring the truth of your gospel message alongside the kindness and love that we show. Lord, please keep us focused on serving you and bringing that good news to our world in the midst of the pandemic. Lord, we pray for those who are restricted at home where the hours hang heavy. Lord, please give those a desire to read your word and to pray. And Lord, for those who have overwhelmingly busy and stressful lives at the moment, in the midst of that busyness, Lord, help them to find small times where they can be quiet and be with you. Lord. For those who are overwhelmed with grief and distress at this time, Lord, please help them to reach out to you, that you can bring peace and rest to their hearts and minds. And for those who are struggling with pain and illness, Lord, we pray that you will bring strength to them and comfort and your rest and your healing. Lord we think of uh, what we read last week where Jesus uh, was explaining to the disciples about the destruction of the temple and Lord we think of your word where we're told that we are living stones being built into um a temple for you, a building for your glory. Lord we pray that you will continue to shape and mould us so that we can be a building worthy of you to bring glory to your name. And Lord we ask that you will turn our hearts and minds to the truth that you will return, as King, in power, to judge the world. Lord, please help that that to be a focus of our daily lives. We know we have that hope, Lord, and we want to serve you each day in the light of that so that your kingdom will come. Lord, please strengthen us and keep us faithful to you, as we know that you are our ever faithful and loving God. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, if you would turn now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to continue on from where we were last week in this fascinating chapter where Jesus speaks of the future. Now, it's always helpful to have our Bibles open in front of us and follow along with the message, but I think this week in particular, it would be extra helpful to open your Bibles Uh, At this passage, so you can follow along with what is being said. So turn to Matthew chapter 24. It'd be really helpful to have that open uh, as we look at verses 15 uh, to verse 35. So uh, we're in part two of Jesus telling his disciples what you need to know about the future. And we saw last week how Jesus had left the temple in Jerusalem uh, and gone to the Mount of Olives. And it symbolized God's departure from the temple uh, and his arrival on that mountain where he will judge Jerusalem. The symbolism there from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And Jesus pointed out to his disciples as they were walking to the Mount of Olives how the temple was going to be destroyed with not one stone being left on top of another. And if you remember, this was just beyond their comprehension Uh, these disciples whose whole religious life was dominated by temple worship. It was totally mind-blowing to them when Jesus said that this temple was going to be completely destroyed. Uh, To them, it was the equivalent of the end of the age. And so if you look at verse 3 of Matthew 24, uh, they ask Jesus, Tell us, they said, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we saw that they asked Jesus to tell us about the future. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answers uh, the two questions that the disciples asked. First, he answers, when will uh, the destruction of the temple happen? Uh, And then he explains about the end of the age. And in explaining about the destruction of the temple, Jesus tells them what they need to know about the future. And last week we looked at the first 14 verses where Jesus told the disciples to know what is normal. They need to know what's normal. And we saw that what's normal before the destruction of the temple is also normal for us and will continue to be normal for us until the Lord Jesus returns. We saw a a series of dramatic events, uh, false messiahs, war and conflict, famines and earthquakes, persecution of the church, and apostasy where people walk away from Christ, having professed him before. All of these things Jesus is describing are not the end of the temple. They're not even signs that the temple is about to be destroyed. They are normal events in the world in which we live. And Jesus says says to us we need to be aware of these normal things, not to be alarmed by them or surprised by them. They are normal. And as I've said, this applies to us as well. Throughout the history of the world and the church, these kind of things have happened, are happening, and will continue to happen. And we don't need to, to look at the news and to speculate that this or that event means that the end is coming. What is also normal, though, is that through this world of trouble, God's people will persevere and God's gospel will progress. So that's what we looked at last week all of those normal things that did happen before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus says those things will happen before. Uh, Jerusalem falls, they are normal. But in verse 15, Jesus moves on to describe something that is abnormal. He goes on to describe something that's cataclysmic, something to watch out for. He moves on from what's normal to telling them to know what's coming. And that begins in verse 15 down to verse 35. So we're going to read that passage now. So, When you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you in advance. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven." And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, When you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is God's word. Well, verse 15 there, notice, begins with the word so, which means there is a change in the discussion here. He said what is normal, so when you see something that's abnormal, you need to act differently. And what's abnormal is, he says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation. Well, when they see that, they need to act differently. Well, what is Jesus on about when he talks about the abomination that causes desolation? Well, it's a phrase that comes from the book of Daniel, where he uses it a number of times. Uh, One example is in Daniel chapter 11. In that chapter, he is prophesying about a king that would come. He says that his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Now, most um, scholars, or at least the ones that I have read, a good number of them, agree that this refers to a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. And in 167 BC, this man attacked Jerusalem, entered the temple, and desecrated it. He, in there, set up a statue of the god Zeus and sacrificed pigs in an act of great offense to the Jewish people. He turned the rooms that the priests were in into brothels. It was a deliberate attempt to stamp out Jewish religion. So this abomination that causes desolation was an event that had already happened. But as with much Old Testament prophecy, there was a greater fulfillment to come. This happens often in the Old Testament with their their prophecies. Uh, One example is the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. And the initial fulfillment of that prophecy was in Isaiah's day. But the greater fulfillment was the Virgin Mary giving birth to the Messiah. So that happens quite often with uh, prophecy. But Jesus here says that what Daniel spoke about... What had happened already with Antiochus Epiphanes, that's going to happen again. We're not told how, but we are told that the temple will be defiled again. That's what he means by, let the reader of Daniel understand. In other words, this was what Daniel was talking about. This desolation of the temple, Jesus says, will be like a starting pistol. When you see that happen, then you need to act differently. And he begins to tell us how they are to act differently from verse 16. He says, at that point, act. And they were to act by fleeing Jerusalem, fleeing to the mountains. Just like Lot, in Genesis chapter 19, was told to flee Sodom and Gomorrah, that was about to be destroyed, and not look back, so the disciples are told the same here. Jerusalem is about to fall. It's about to be totally destroyed. Flee. Run to the mountains. Don't delay. Don't even go down from your roof where they would have, um, they they would stand on their roofs and, and use it as almost like a room. Don't leave the roof and go down and get something. Don't go to the field and grab the cloak that you might have left there. Flee the city. Run as fast as you can to the mountains. And the reason that they need to flee is because of how awful this destruction is going to be. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus describes the awfulness of it by describing uh, or mentioning pregnant women. Because they're going to find it hard at this time because they're going to find it hard to flee. Imagine fleeing to the mountains when you are heavily pregnant. And verse 20 mentions the winter and the Sabbath. Both of those times would have been difficult to flee. The winter, because of the weather, and the Sabbath, because if you're following the Sabbath regulations that were in place, you could only travel a certain distance, and some people wouldn't even help you, because that would have been classed as work. So it was harder to run away at that time. And Jesus says in verse 21 that those days will be without equal. And we can read in history about these days, the days before Jerusalem was uh, fallen. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote about those days, and it is a very harrowing read. In around AD 66, there was a big revolt against the Roman rule in Jerusalem. And to put down the disturbance, 3,600 Jews were crucified. 6,000 were taken prisoner. And in AD 70, during the Passover feast, when thousands of pilgrims were in Jerusalem, the Roman armies besieged the city and people died with famine and plague. There were stories of people eating each other in desperation, even their own children. That's just a, a snippet, but it was a truly awful time as Jesus says, unequaled. Don Carson writes this, There have been greater numbers of deaths, six million in the Nazi death camps, mostly Jews, and an estimated 20 million under Stalin, but never so high a percentage of a great city's population so thoroughly and painfully exterminated and enslaved as during the fall of Jerusalem. But notice verse 22, that even in the most unparalleled of times, in terms of distress, God shows mercy. It says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. God shortened the days of this calamity for the sake of the elect. In other words, because there was God's people in this situation, it was not as bad as it could have been. It's almost like the opposite side of the coin to what we have recently read of in Second Peter, where God is delaying his coming judgment so that as many people as possible can repent. Here we see that God... Uh, uh, constrains the intensity or extent of his judgment so that it is not as bad as it could be. That's at least until he comes again when his judgment is meted out in full. God's people do suffer with other people in the problems of this world. But because God's people are in this world, the world is not as bad as it could be. That's not to say that times are not tough for many of God's people and many other people. But it is to say, I take from this verse, that, they, that, that times are never as bad as they could be. Because God in his mercy cuts the days short. And actually, because of the extent of our sin, any uh, day is a day of mercy that we are still not under God's judgment. Well, these events are so awful and, the, and they impact the temple so much that in the minds of the people of the time, it'll seem like the end of the world, the end of the age. And at that time of great distress, in verses 23 to 25, we read about people claiming to be the Messiah that will... Uh, dupe people who are longing for the end in verse 23 to 26 we see that people will say look here is the messiah and false prophets will appear if so-called signs and wonders these signs and wonders will be so convincing that if possible even the elect would be taken in thankfully those who are truly gods are not going to be deceived by these people for those who are truly gods they will continue to know that Jesus is the Messiah, not these false pretenders. Plus, in verse 25, Jesus says, I've I've told you about this in advance. We've had advance warning that this will come. But the end of Jerusalem, as awful as it will be for these uh, uh, people, is not the end of the age. And for us, however bad things may seem, Until Jesus returns, it is not the end of the age. Jesus' return will be obvious. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so will the coming of the son of be the, the coming of the son of man so because of this warning from jesus do not believe those who tell you that the messiah is in the, in the wilderness or the desert uh, like some kind of hermit or monk that, that that's not what the where the messiah will be or don't believe that he is in a secret room which i take to mean something along the lines of only a few people will know that he's really there, like it's some kind of secret. Now, we see these, uh, this kind of thing uh, from false teachers today who, who make claims about the Messiah. Uh, most cults have some kind of date when they think the world is going to end. So, for example, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses said that it would end in 1914. But when 1914 passed... They said this Well, he came in secret, in a different kind of a way, which sounds an awful lot like he's in the inner room, doesn't it? Now, we'll look next week at how to respond to these kinds of predictions, but the point here is that we should not believe them because verse 27 says the return of Jesus will be literally blindingly obvious. It will be like lightning in the sky, Everyone will see it. That's helpful for us as well, isn't it? Don't worry about missing the second coming of Jesus. You won't miss it. It's going to be blindingly obvious to everyone, just like the lightning in the sky is blindingly obvious. He is coming. You won't miss it. You will know that he has arrived. And when you hear rumors and theories about when Jesus is coming or that he is just about to come, or even that he has come, just ignore them. If you're God's child, and you're still walking this earth in this frail body, he hasn't come back yet. It'll be obvious when he has. So far then, Jesus has talked about the abomination that causes desolation, and the the, the great distress of what the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies will be like. But the complete desolation or the complete destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem had not yet come. This is described in verses 28 to 30. First of all, look at verse 28. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. That's a bit of an odd, uh, odd verse, but it makes sense in the context of what we've just been talking about. In verse 21, we saw how there is great distress and and how awful it will be. Literally, in the streets of Jerusalem, dead bodies were piling up because people were so hungry that they had no physical energy and ability to bury the bodies. Some were killed by others so that they could be eaten by them. Jerusalem was like a carcass, in this respect and the roman armies vultures that surrounded the carcass waiting to swoop down and take them which later on they did and then in verse 29 we read this immediately after the distress of those days what do those days mean well, they can only really mean that G, what the days Jesus has just been speaking of, the days of distress as the Roman armies are surrounding Jerusalem. And something happens immediately after the great distress of those days. And to describe what will happen, Jesus uses what is called apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic language is language that uses images to symbolize what is coming, And it's a very common kind of way of speaking in the Old Testament, and we see it also in the book of Revelation in particular. And the apocalyptic language Jesus uses here is not an exact Old Testament quote, but is very similar to what Isaiah spoke of when he spoke about the fall of Babylon and the judgment of pagan nations. So I'm going to show you these verses from Isaiah. Notice how similar the language they, he uses about Babylon and pagan nations to this language here that Jesus uses. So about Babylon, uh, Jesus says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Do you see the similarity here with Jesus' words in verse 29? This was about Babylon. Well, about pagan nations, Isaiah says, All the stars in the sky will be dissolved, and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. So this Old Testament apocalyptic language that has been used about pagan nations is now used by Jesus to speak against Jerusalem itself. It must be about Jerusalem because it's happening immediately after the days of distress that Jesus has just been speaking of. Jerusalem is going to fall. The vultures gathering are going to swoop. And in AD 70... The Roman armies, led by Titus, destroyed the temple and the city. Not one stone was left upon another. And all that's left today in Jerusalem of that temple is a bit of the western wall, which was on the outside extension rather than even of the actual temple complex itself. It was completely destroyed and Jerusalem fallen. The vultures swooped. And so with that context in mind we come to verse 30. Now this verse is linked to verse 29 with the word then. So at the time of Jerusalem's fall will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. Heaven here means heaven itself, uh, the dwelling place of God rather than some sign in the sky. So the sign is not necessarily a visible one, but rather something that's going on in heaven itself. So what's going on in heaven? What is this sign? Well, the rest of the verse tells us. All of the people of the earth will mourn. That's because Jerusalem has fallen. In fact, the word earth can be translated there as land, which in our NIV Bibles, there's a footnote that says it could also mean the tribes of the land. And that's how I take it, because Uh, the, 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 The people of the land of Israel, especially, mourn when they see Jerusalem fall. And at that point, as they're mourning, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. Now, where have we heard that phrase before? Well, we heard it from Tom as he read Daniel chapter 7 earlier on, didn't we? This coming of the Son of Man refers again to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet had a vision about different kings that would rule on the earth. But after these kings comes one like the Son of Man. "'In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence.' He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In this vision, the Son of Man is, is not descending to earth like the second coming. He is ascending to the presence of the Ancient of Days and given authority which is exactly what happened when we read in Acts chapter 1 of Jesus ascending to heaven. He's done the work that his Father had given him to do, and he ascends to the heaven to the sit at the right hand of God the Father, where he rules and reigns with all uh, power and glory that is described here in Daniel. Now, I might have lost you here, and if so, I do apologize. But here is the big point. When these people, these disciples, see Jerusalem fall, they will know, that will be a sign, that Jesus' words are vindicated, that Jesus' words are true, that while these things are awful, they are also a sign that in heaven, Jesus is the Son of Man seated with the Ancient of Days with all authority? And, if, and to sum it up even smaller in one sentence, these verses tell us this Jesus is the King in control of what is coming. Jesus is the King in control of what is coming. He is the King of the kingdom with all authority. And in verse 31, we see that he uses this authority to send his messengers, messengers from the king of his kingdom into the world to gather them in. In verse 31, we read of the trumpet call. Now, the trumpet call was used in the Old Testament to gather the people of God. We read about that in Deuteronomy. When they hear the trumpet blast the people of God gather together for worship. It's a bit like um, in our country and in Europe, uh, when the church bells rang, the purpose of those wasn't just to make a nice noise, it was to call people to worship so they could tell it was time for worship and they would then come to the church. That's what the trumpet call was in the Old Testament. And that imagery is used to explain how God sends out messengers, the word for angel means messenger, to sound out the trumpet call of the gospel so that those God has elected will gather in to worship him as they are saved. You see, the the center of God's work was no longer the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Sue, as she prayed, uh, really helpfully Uh, described us as living stones as God is gathering a people in he's building a new temple of living stones where he dwells the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed but as God gathers people in as the trumpet of the gospel goes out his temple new temple is being rebuilt and that's where we are today We are in a post-Jerusalem temple world where people are being gathered from all over the world as the messengers of the king are sent out. And that will continue until Jesus comes again. And we'll read about that uh, next week as from verse 36, Jesus begins to talk about the end of the age. But our role now is to sound the trumpet blast of the gospel. And these verses here show us how we can have confidence as we do that. Notice how Jesus is in control of history and in control of salvation. We can be confident that as we share the gospel, God will bring people into his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that every time we uh, proclaim the gospel we're going to have success. But the point is that our confidence is in God to work as he wills. And as he says here, he will work to bring people into his kingdom. And so we should boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can escape the far greater judgment that is coming. Because these words are also a warning to us. The judgment of Jerusalem was truly awful, unparalleled. Before or since. But it is a foreshadowing of the far greater judgment to come, not on one city or or people, but on all peoples in all the earth. And so that means we need to proclaim the gospel boldly and confidently, but also urgently. So this week, let's be praying for and taking opportunities to speak of Jesus. Blowing out that sweet music of the gospel from the trumpets that God has given us. Well, so far in this chapter, Jesus has shown us what we need to know about the future. We need to know what is normal and we need to know what is coming, which for us is the saving of people until Jesus returns. The final thing we need to know is that in the light of uh, of what the disciples have been told, their worldview has been turned totally upside down. They might be thinking, can this really be true? Can, can we trust what Jesus is saying? And we can think like this too. Some things can shake our faith. We can hear things that go against what God says. We can wonder whether, can we really trust the word of God? Well, Jesus tells us that we need to know what's true. And this lesson comes from the fig tree. A bit like in our country, the blossom shows that it's spring and summer is coming. So in Israel, the, the twigs becoming tender and its leaves coming out uh, show uh, on the fig tree show that summer is near. And in, in verse three, the disciples asked, when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus says that, In the same way that the fig tree shows when it is summer, when the disciples see the distress coming that he's described from verse 15, they will know that the time is near. And another clue is given in verse 34. Jesus says that all these things will happen in their generation. That is the generation of these disciples. Before their generation passes away, This temple is going to be destroyed. And of course, about 40 years after uh, these words were spoken, within this generation, Jerusalem fell. And in verse 35, Jesus assures us of the truth of his words. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The words of Jesus are always going to be true. And we've seen this in history, haven't we? He rose from the dead just like he said he would. Jerusalem fell and all the events preceding it happened just like he said it would. The gospel has gone out over all the world and people have been gathered in just like he said they would be. Every word of Jesus comes to pass. It's all true. We can stake our lives on the words of Jesus. There is nothing in the world more true than they are. There will be times um, where we may doubt. There will be times when other people are going to come and they're going to say, I know a better way than Jesus. There is a different way of salvation. People will try and deceive us into thinking that Jesus is not the only way. That it's not worth following him. Please do not be deceived. Keep trusting Jesus. Know what's true. Heaven and earth will pass away. And and that includes, by the way, every other false prophet and false teacher and false gospel. It's all going to go. But my words, Jesus says, will never pass away. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the gospel. That is what we are to proclaim until he comes. And our final song in response to what we have heard, following especially verse uh, 31 about proclaiming Uh, the gospel to gather God's people together. Uh, We're going to sing, We have a gospel to proclaim good news through all the earth. The roots of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.
3: Amen.